Welcome to Gays with Kids. Gays with Kids, a podcast about creating and raising families. Creating and raising families together. 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 I'm David Dodge. My pronouns are he and him. I'm the executive editor of Gays with Kids. I'm in a, a known donor arrangement with two of my very good friends, and together we've had three kids, um, ages six, five, and one and a half, and they refer to me as Papa. I'm Giovanni Schwab. I am a contributing writer for Gays with Kids, a hopeful dad, and my preferred pronouns are he and him. I'm Britt Smith. I'm Gays with Kids associate editor and staff writer, hopefully future parent, and my pronouns are she, her. Here is the news that you need to know this week. On the first day of Pride Month, Connecticut Governor Ned Lamont signed the Connecticut Parentage Act into law. The law will take effect on January 1st, and it will essentially make it easier for those who don't share a biological connection with their child to establish legal parentage. A couple of new dads in Michigan have also set up a mentoring program this month, and they're helping other same-sex couples who are preparing to welcome their child via surrogacy. Adam and Doug Taylor said that they went through three years of major setbacks on their journey, and now they're really happy to be mentoring other future parents at Michigan Medicine's new patient support group, which has been set up specifically for same-sex couples. And lastly, and perhaps most importantly, the U.S. government has said it will now approve U.S. citizenship for any children who are born abroad to same-sex or heterosexual American parents via IVF, surrogacy, and any other assisted reproductive means. Under that new policy that was announced last Tuesday, that means that the child must be born abroad to married parents, at least one of the parents has to be a US citizen, and the child must have a biological tie to at least one of the parents, but then they can get approved for US citizenship. So this is really, really big for anybody who's going through trying to form their family outside of the US. Definitely. What I find so funny about, um, or not funny, but the way that the U.S. used to consider kids born to surrogates outside of the U.S. Um, is they considered it to be born out of wedlock, even to married parents. Wow. <laughs> so just it was, it was sort of like one of these relics to get, I mean, both this and the Connecticut news are actually both examples of just the law finally catching up to how LGBTQ people make their families. So uh, this is big news that the U.S. is finally going to start recognizing kids born uh, via surrogacy abroad. Uh, the Connecticut one is actually um, important to me personally. I sent it to my um, my mom's like immediately after uh, getting the news. So again, I'm a donor to a lesbian couple who live in Connecticut. Um, and, you know, so when we first decided to uh, enter this known donor arrangement, we looked into what it was going to cost and process of doing what's known as a second parent adoption. So this is what you Uh, Basically, every lawyer is going to recommend you do if you're in a situation like mine, where there's going to be one parent that's not biologically tied to the resulting kid. Every lawyer on the planet will say that uh, even if you have both names on the birth certificate of a of a same sex couple, it's not going to be enough because that might not be as legally recognized as a adoption or like a court or a judge saying you are a parent. Mm. Um, so that's what they recommend that you do. But so before recently, like back when my first daughter was born seven years ago, there were very few places in the country where you could avoid having to do the second parent adoption. And if you're in the situation, like if you're my my friends and you're being told that. You, you know, one of you has to legally adopt a kid that you're raising and that's yours and that there's, you know, basically no reason to not consider these kids like 
your, I mean, it's, it's, it's a problem, I think, for a lot of people to feel like they have to go through an adoption process to adopt their own kid that they're already raising in their house, you know, that they're tied to in every other way. Yeah. Um, and it's not uh, cheap and it's not quick <laughs> to do a, a second parent adoption. Um, so it was just this like extra hurdle that queer families have to go through in order to just kind of tie up all these loose ends. And a lot of people end up not doing it because it's it's expensive and it's timely. And it's it's you know, you do it in the worst case situation if there's a, a, a conflict in your marriage or in your arrangement or something like that. Um, this is basically the only way that you can really shore up your rights 100 percent. So now um, few states have done this still and more states need to, but they're making it uh, so you don't have to go through the second parent adoption process. You don't have to invite all these social workers in your home and go through like the home study process and all these things that are required of um, every adoptive parent. And instead, you can kind of bypass all that, go to a judge and just say, this is our situation. You know, can you just make, give us the decree <laughs> that you would have had to have undergone this entire like, you know, months and months long process before that's, you know, again, not cheap all the time. So anyway, it's very good news. <laughs> what was what was your uh, your mum's reaction when you told him? It was well, uh, she was excited. Yeah. That sounds like so much, so many extra hurdles to go through just to sort of be what is considered a legal family for people that are already right. living in a legal family situation and already understand between each other what the situation is. What happens if you if you just don't get those rights? Does that mean that the second parent doesn't have say over medical issues and things like that how does it affect the parent it's exactly that sort of a, a thing so um i mean it's, it's pretty easy now um given same-sex marriage to get both parents on the birth certificate at the time of birth everywhere in the country that didn't used to be the case either that used to be a big hurdle as well um and that is pretty confirming a parentage but it's not a court order so that's what you need to be able to really prove your legal ties to your children is having a either you know biological connection or uh, if you're not the bio parent you need to have a decree from a judge that says that you have legal ties to them mm. so yeah so let's say you're in a, a different state that might be a little bit more dubious of a same-sex couple walking into a hospital or whatever uh if you don't have any sort of legal documentation that shows that you are the parent they could give you a hard time they could not let you make medical decisions uh it's also something that's uh, like everyone worldwide really knows what an adoption is right so like birth certificates look different everywhere um so that that process can be a little less straightforward internationally too so it's just it is what is going to be the best case scenario for for all parents so it is uh slowly happening state by state but it's it's starting to pick up steam these these uh parentage laws so it's uh it's good news Gio, do you think that it makes you more likely to want to take that sort of route as one of your possible paths to parenthood because they're they're removing the barriers for you right yeah um i'm not gonna lie sitting here gives me a little anxiety now <laughs> <laughs> but i will say i'm glad to see that there's some progress being made you know, and hopefully by the time that I'm ready to have my kids of my own, we'll be a lot further than where we are now. I mean, I've always said that whether my husband comes along or not, no matter what, nobody's going to stop me from having kids. <laughs> so yeah, so you're down to, to become a dad as a single man? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I'm not waiting around for nobody. Oh, <laughs> I like the independence. Yeah. <laughs> well, another huge trend that we're seeing, I mean, not just with that, within the queer community, but straight people too it's it's a huge definitely uh trend in parenting mm. which is mm -hmm. which is great yeah i mean it's becoming easier for people to do this on their own yeah um absolutely but for couples in michigan uh moving on to our last story there are now a couple of dads who are willing to mentor you if you're in michigan and you're working with michigan medicine 
They have a new patient support group that's set up for same-sex couples who are preparing to welcome the child into the world via surrogacy. And now you can have Adam and Doug Taylor as your one-on-one mentors. What would it mean to you guys to have mentorship before you're going through something as big as surrogacy? I love this. Love this. In fact, seeking out mentorship was obviously the reason I stumbled upon you guys. And even though I've been working with you guys for a short time, I've learned so much. Like, so, so, so much. Um, So I know this is definitely going to be helpful to a lot of hopeful dads and dads-to-be and and guiding them. And, you know, this as we discussed earlier, there's just so many legal parameters and hurdles that we have to jump over. And it's good to have somebody that's kind of been through the jungle and know exactly what to expect to kind of prepare you mentally, financially, emotionally Mm -hmm. for all those things that you go through just trying to become a dad. Totally. Yeah. I mean, it's great to hear you say that, Gio, because it is the point of GWK was to provide this kind of information and mentorship, but you know, we're still, we're still web-based for the moment. It would be great for us to be able to do more of this kind of stuff too, but there's nothing really that's going to beat having this sort of like in-person mentorship. Uh, Surrogacy is such a complicated process. And the fact that this is in Michigan is even more interesting because it's one of the few States where gestational surrogacy is still illegal. It's going to be much more complicated to just jump through all the hoops there. So I don't fully, um, like, I don't, I don't exactly know what kind of surrogacy route that those dads took, but, um, Mm -hmm. but just, yeah, to have this also kind of embedded within the hospital is so great. Yeah. And, and maybe this exists elsewhere. I'm not, I'm not totally sure, but I, I, I've heard of other mentorship programs that kind of happen outside the hospital system. Um, and obviously surrogacy agencies are, and fertility clinics are going to be your mentors through this process as well. But yeah, just having someone that's kind of independent and knowledgeable and, and, and have been through it themselves. There's no, there's no beating that having that kind of help, I think. So that's, yeah, it's, it's a great story. Definitely. Yeah. There's so, there's so many resources for, different sex couples and resources as easy as just typing it in on your Google search bar. And, you know, for same sex couples, it's just not that easy. And sometimes you have those very specific questions where it's just like you need someone personally to talk to. So I just wanted to look up the actual law. So I'm not giving false information. So Michigan prohibits paid (laughs) surrogacy. So I I think that this could have been an example of what's known as like an altruistic surrogacy arrangement where Mm -hmm. Um, like a family member or friend carries the child and isn't compensated for it. So that's, that is still legal in Michigan, but um, a paid yeah. contract is not. It's crazy how the laws differ, oh differentiate throughout the right. different states, right? The biggest headache. Well, so again, this is this. Well, so family law just generally is something that's left to the states in this country. Um, so that w- it will never change that the states won't have slightly different laws of, as to who's considered a parent and how. And then the laws governing surrogacy and adoption and foster care are always going to be a little bit uh, different state to state. But it is a pain <laughs> uh, for for those of us that are, again, a little ahead of the curve when it comes to family planning, trying to get these states to catch up to where we're at and forming our families. How yeah. crazy is that? Like, let's just say I, I, I landed a full time job in Michigan and I'm getting ready to have kids as well. Now I have to consider what laws are going to make me, you know, able to have kids or yeah. what process I have to go through just to make sure that my kids are known as legally mine like it's insane no it, it really is. i mean that's yeah it's going to be the case with any of these routes to parenthood that are available to us but the important thing to know is <laughs> with both adoption and surrogacy it really matters more where you're conducting it so you can live in michigan and have a surrogate that's going to be a much more friendly surrogacy 
state. So state. like if you work with a surrogacy agency, they're going to pair you with a surrogate that's not going to be in a state where it's difficult to uh, to do all this. So this is why you know it's helpful to have work with people that know <laughs> that know more about this stuff than we do. <laughs> so is it based and, on the egg donor or is it based on like where? So the legal complication with surrogacy is that because prior to these becoming more common, the birthing parent would be considered the, the legal parent as well. Right. Um, and there wasn't much reason for that not to be the case before reproductive technologies made it possible to do things like surrogacy and IVF. Um, so it matters more where the surrogate is based. Um, egg donors, I think it matters a little bit less, although you still have to go through the same sort of, you have to have a legal contract with both your egg donor and your surrogate. Right. Sorry, we're getting real, way in the weeds here, but, <laughs> but just so... <laughs> I mean, it is something it's important for people to know that even though the law is different, and this is why it's important, especially if you're doing this on your own, to know what you're doing. So these these dads, it sounds like we're doing this outside of a surrogacy agency and probably with the uh, what's known as an altruistic surrogate. Yeah, who I was a friend of known to them. Oh, OK. So so that's exactly right. So that's it's uh, complicated to do that. So it's great that they're <laughs> they're going to be offering that support to other people in Michigan because that's uh, it's a much more complicated way to do it. Not that it's a great way to do it and plenty of people do it and it's lovely to have like a friend or a family member willing to do that it makes it much less expensive um but uh but le legally more complicated for sure crazy my goodness the barriers you gotta go through my goodness <laughs> so this is an exciting week but a really wonky week <laughs> just right. we got way into the weeds about michigan surrogacy law which is not where i expected this conversation to go we love you michigan <laughs> <laughs> but change your law yeah for real right <laughs> You can read up about these news stories and more at gayswithkids.com. There are several ways aside from surrogacy that same-sex couples form their families, including fostering to adopt. Last month for National Foster Care Awareness Month, I spoke with Pete and Danny, an amazing couple from New York who adopted their son Kevin after Danny found him as a baby abandoned at the subway station. Here's the story of Pete, Danny and Kevin. I was um, getting off the train to meet Pete for dinner. We had a eight o'clock dinner date. I, I was running late. And as I was going through the turnstile, I noticed on the left of me um, against the wall on the ground was this bundle. I thought it was just a doll. All I saw was two little legs sticking out. And I thought, well, that's just really interesting. Why would a little girl leave her doll on the ground? I start to exit the station. And I glanced back one more time as I'm about to leave, and that's when his legs moved. So, of course, I, I realized this is not a doll, this is a human baby. And I rushed down, I loosened the sweatshirt that he was wrapped up in, and uh, made sure he was breathing okay. And then I tried to get somebody's attention to what was going on. I um, couldn't really do that, but I knew that there was a payphone right on the street, uh, right above where the, the subway let out. So I called 911 and told them where I was and went back down to the baby to wait. And it seemed like forever was, it was taking forever. I'm sure it was just a matter of minutes. But to me, it just like, it seemed like a long time. So I thought, oh, they probably think it's a prank call. Let me call Pete. If, if I get Pete to call, um, maybe they'll believe it's it's this is really happening and send somebody. So then I dug into my pocket. I had a quarter. I went back up to that payphone and called Pete. Blurted out, I found a baby. 
when I heard the tone in his voice, I knew something had happened. And I, I think I asked you, what did you say? And he repeated it again. I found a baby. And I could just tell that because the way he sounded so panicked and alarmed that he was telling me the truth. So I said, where are you? Where are you? And he told me where he was. And then he sort of quickly hung up on me because I think the police were arriving at the time mm -hmm. that he was on the phone with me. So I ran down there uh, to uh, be with him. And just as I got down there, he was standing at the top of the steps and the two police officers, the two police officers were carrying the baby up from the bottom of, you know, from the subway station. And it was just sort of the four of us standing there for a good five minutes or so before uh, mm -hmm. maybe a crowd started to gather and then more detectives showed up and more police officers showed up and they were cordoning off the area with police tape and all of that stuff. But for a while, we got to just sort of witness this little bundle in front of us in the, in the police officer's arms. Mm -hmm. And I remember at one point I turned to Danny and I, I just sort of said, you know, you're going to be uh, connected to this baby for the rest of your life. You're never going to forget this night. And he was still in shock. You could tell, I could tell that you were just sort of still in disbelief and in shock. And I, I just had this weird feeling. I just had this feeling. I said, well, maybe not tomorrow or next week or in five years or, or 10 years from now, but someday this baby is going to find out how he entered into this world and he might want to find the person who discovered him. And that's you. I wasn't sure what he meant. Um, I didn't, I mean, I wasn't really, I didn't have the, the mind, you know, frame to even understand what he was saying. But then it's like, oh, well, that would be really great. Yeah, if we could keep in contact in some way. Pete suggested, well, you know, maybe we can even find out where the baby right. is placed and we can be able to send a birthday card every year on this date just to say hi and to stay connected that way. And that was all that we were thinking about. But I definitely was not, um, you know, I was not even in the right, right mindset to even think beyond that. Yeah, you were still sort of numb till a whole night was mm -hmm. just blurry. Yeah. yeah. We, we went and had dinner. We finally <laughs> went to dinner after two hours of waiting. Yeah. Um, and First thing we did was order a margarita. Margarita. <laughs> it was like, yes. some, this like, we need to like take the edge off right away. Oh, absolutely. Yes. Then we went on with our lives, really. I mean, you know, we thought the baby, you know, was put into the foster care system and um, we basically, we went on with our lives, not thinking too much of it other than, you know, friends and family and whatever, asking Danny to retell the story of how he found the baby. That was basically the extent of us talking about the baby for the next three months, right? Well, we were really busy. We yeah. had busy lives that fall after finding the baby. And I got the, a phone call from the attorney with the Administration for Children's Services, the Child Wel Welfare Agency. Uh, she said, I've you know, been looking for you and we would like for you to come in to testify to tell the story of how you found the baby. We think that it'll be helpful in the hearing to terminate the, the parental rights for the baby. And um, I said, yes. Uh, about 12 weeks had passed since we had found the baby. And by this time, it's the beginning of December. When I go in to family court, just to provide my testimony, that's all I was there for. Um, I had just started a new job the same week. And so I was actually on my lunch hour to go into court. And after I finished my testimony, uh, the judge asked me if I would 
mind staying for the remainder of the hearing. And I told her, I was like, well, I need to get back to work if it's not going to take too long. <laughs> and she said, well, it's not. And sure enough, it didn't. The two police officers that showed up that night provided their testimony and it was done. Like two minutes later, it was done. And she turns to me and trusts me. She said, Mr. Stewart, I want to let you know what's happening. In situations where we have a baby that's been abandoned, we want to place that baby in pre-adoptive foster care as quickly as possible. And in my head, I'm thinking, well, that makes a lot of sense. And then she said, would you be interested in adopting this baby? I paused for a second. I noticed all the eyes in the courtroom were on me. And I said, yes, but I don't think it's that easy. To which she smiled, gave a little chuckle, and she said, well, it can be. If you're interested in adopting this baby, you need to come to the next hearing and state your intentions. And, and I said, okay. <laughs> Not quite the lunch break hearing you were expecting. <laughs> exactly. It wasn't, yeah. It was wow. all, it was all, it all happened so quickly. And then after I said um, yes, then she started to issue a lot of court orders uh, to do an expedited home study. She set up a home visit for me to go and visit the baby with the foster family. And I'm, it, it just, it seemed to swirl out of control and the room started to spin as I wasn't sure exactly what was happening. And I, and I, I said to myself, what is, what just happened? Well, Danny, Danny left the courtroom and it was hopping on the train to go back to work and he was on the platform and he called me from another payphone, this time actually on the subway platform. Mm -hmm. And he says, you're never going to believe what the judge just asked me. Uh, I said, what? He said, she asked me if I was interested in adopting the baby. And just as he's saying that his train that he needs to get on is roaring into the station. He's like, my train's here. We'll talk later. And I, I'm basically saying, no, 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 go back. You have to go back and tell her no right now. It's no, you misspoke, tell her you misspoke. And he, he hung up and got on his train. And later on, we talked that night. We both got home from work. And, you know, I sort of was a little upset with him, <laughs> more than a little upset. Like, how could you say yes without consulting me first? So a big life change is just sort of falling in your lap at this point, really. Yeah, exactly. It was yeah. falling into our lap. Yeah, don't, totally falling into our lap. Even though I was really like, wow, in my that is just crazy that she asked you out of nowhere. I was also like, how could you say yes? You know? And so we had like heated discussions for about a week um, going back and forth. And Danny just kept saying over and over again, you know, this is one step at a time. This is a process. It's going to take a while for him to come live with us. Six to nine months. They, you know, they have to do a home study. They have to do a background check. We have to take parenting classes and we can make it work. And I was like, mm -hmm. but we don't have any money. We living in this small one bedroom apartment with a roommate, like we have to rearrange our entire lives to, to make this work. He said, we'll make it work. And he, then another thing he kept saying was, you know, fate is giving us this opportunity. Fate is giving us a child, a family. How can we say no to that? And he would say that over and over again. And, and, and then in the back of my mind, I, I, I agreed with him, but I was scared to death. And so early on, all of my reservations and, 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 um, objections were basically were fear-based. And so he said, why don't you, can you, they've set up a, a, a time for me to visit the baby in his current foster home. Why don't you come with me? I really love for you to come with me. And I said, yes, I'll, I'll go with you. And so we went, we went to the home and, um, the caseworker, 
um, went over some paperwork with the foster mom that was in the home and um, she turned around to Danny and said, would you like to hold the baby? Mm-hmm. And so Danny held the baby and it was really, really remarkable and um, just beautiful. It was a beautiful sight to see, you know, the connection there, Danny holding this, that these, these two human life forms found each other on that night. And here they are again. And Danny leans in and just looks down at the baby and says, you remember me? <laughs> and it was just so sweet. <laughs> and um, and he just holds the baby out to me and he says, your turn. And, so, <laughs> and, and we had a, a Polaroid camera. Right. And so we snapped, snapped a shot of each of us holding the baby yeah. in that moment uh, for the first time. And just us holding him in that moment, we, I think we said to each other, like, this is our son. Yeah. yeah I could we just sort of knew. We're like, I turned to Danny, he turned to me and was like, this is our son. And it was the first time he'd called me Papa. You said, you said, <laughs> you said, you said, I was holding Kevin and I was trying to make the baby and I was trying to make him laugh. And you said, you said to the baby, what's Papa doing? What is Papa doing? <laughs> Papa being silly? And I shot him a look and I said, it's not final yet. Don't call me Papa yet. It's not, you know, we're getting way ahead of, we're getting way ahead of ourselves here. I could see um, as Pete was holding the baby, just everything, all his reservations melted in that moment. And it was also a beautiful, tender moment to witness. Um, and I'm so glad that we were able to capture that photo in that moment. Uh, it's just not a really special, special thing. And so after you decided that this was going to be your path forward, this almost unplanned pregnancy. Exactly. <laughs> and you told the courts, you know, our intention is to, uh, I guess, foster to adopt, or was it a straight adoption? For foster to adopt. Exactly. Yeah. How quickly did things move after that? Um, much quicker than we had planned, expected. So talk about unplanned pregnancy. Yeah. Um, we had gone into this and everything I had told Pete six to nine months was that that was our understanding. That even, was, even the foster care yeah. workers were saying, this is a process. It's going to take some time. It's not immediate. You have plenty of time to prepare yourselves. So we go into court December 20th that to state our intentions with the judge. And then she looks down at her, her planner and she says, hmm, um, holidays coming up. Would you like to have a holiday visit with him? And I think so, we just nodded. We just, we just nodded and said yes. Like, and not, the, in the back of our minds, I think we're thinking, what holiday is she talking about? We hope it's like next Memorial Day or something. But of course, <laughs> she meant Christmas, and, right? And, and, and then, then she said, oh, you can pick him up in two days. Yeah. So six to nine months gets boiled down to 48 hours. Yeah. Wow. And how much of a rush is that 48 hours? You have to get everything you have to get diapers. do you even know what you need to get at that no. point no who, who was there to guide you my Thank mom you. We, i called my mom she my family lives in new jersey so they were the closest uh you know to help us out and they knew that we were going to adopt and they also but they they had no idea it was going to be that fast they also thought you know we're gonna you know they're gonna get a new grandson in six to nine months so i called my mom and i said um we got another surprise the judge <laughs> Is, tell, is asking us to pick up the baby in two days. Help. <laughs> and so she or, organized a phone bank with all my brothers and sisters and other relatives. And that Wednesday night, that Wednesday afternoon, Wednesday night and Thursday, they just got 
everything we possibly needed, loaded it into their cars. While we were picking up that Thursday, Dan, uh, Danny and I went to Barnes and Noble and just looked at all books on how to be a parent, mm-hmm. you know, the baby book, what to expect when you're expecting. We, we bought those two books, read them all day on Thursday. It was like cramming for an exam. <laughs> <laughs> and while we were picking uh, the baby Kevin up from the foster care agency Friday morning, everyone brought their cars to, you know, uh, their car loads to our apartment, loaded in all the baby stuff. We got home and did not recognize our apartment it at was, all. It instantly it was instant. changed into a nursery. It yeah. was. How did you decide on a name for this baby? So that's a very yeah, special yeah. story. Um, after we had gone to the foster family that he had been staying in, and we we held him and and we solidified the decision that we wanted to proceed with the fostering to adoption. Uh, Pete had asked me. You know, have you thought about baby names? <laughs> and I said, well, I've always liked the name Devon. And he said, wow, um, what about if we change the D to a K and it's Kevin? And then he, he said, let me tell you why. And he told me the story of his mother, um, his parents, before he was born, had given birth to a baby boy whose name was Kevin, who died at birth. And after hearing that story, I said, absolutely. Mm. Um, It was like this, absolutely, a name should be Kevin. And it was, um, for Pete, this was just uh, the name and the significance was um, almost like a a guardian angel or figure for him. So it, it just, it felt so right that his name had to be Kevin. That's beautiful. Pete, what, what was your mom's reaction? Um, when we told her, she sobbed. She instantly, it was like instant tears, you know, because she hadn't, you know, my parents didn't really talk much about the baby they lost, you know, here and there. I would hear things growing up that there was a, you know, a child that they lost and, but they never really spoke about it at length or that experience or what that experience was like for them. So here were 30 years of tears just bubbling out of her, you know, and, and falling to the, the, the table that we were on. We were having, we were eating pizza and she's just sobbing. And I, I you actually can see the tears coming off of her face. Um, they were both tears of, uh, I think, just um, reminiscing uh, and also tears of joy, mm-hmm. almost like, the baby that she lost is coming back into her life somehow. Remarkably, through her gay son, yeah. who's probably was never supposed to provide her with a baby at all. We never thought mm. that we were going to have kids. No. I never thought I was going to have a kid. And so here's this baby Kevin coming back into her life in one of the most unexpected ways. And she just was overcome with emotion. surprise you're going to be parents um you've crammed you've read all the books uh <laughs> you've gotten all the advice you're gonna get what was the experience like for you our, our parenting styles were very much aligned which we were surprised about just um, kind of naturally worked out it just naturally worked naturally. out and yeah, you know yeah. people would always ask us well, well which one of you does more of the mom stuff and which one of you does more of the dad stuff and and we would just say well we both do all of it you know, yeah. we didn't. I, we didn't feel constrained by any kind of uh, 
heteronormative roles. Did I use that phrase right? You did. Wow. wow I'm so proud great? of you. Yeah. He's a social worker and teaches this stuff. So when I, when hey. the words like that come out of my mouth, I am be surprised that I've learned Look something. Look at yeah. you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, but, well you're, but you're right. Parenting is so gendered. And so even from friends that knew us, it was like they would be curious about that. And it's like, come on, you know, we both do everything, yeah. you know, we equally. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so living in Chelsea, were there many other gay couples with kids around you? We knew of one couple, we weren't friends with them, but we knew of one couple that lived in a building across the street from us. And their son was a couple of years older than our son. And so they, uh, they went to the same elementary school um, in the village. And um, that's the only couple that we knew at the time with a kid. None of our friends had kids. Do any of our friends have kids now? Well, I mean, we, no, they all not, said they not, want, so not, when we got Kevin, they were all like, oh, yeah, we're yeah. going to get kids. We're going to, we're going to, we're going to adopt. And none of them ever did. We're like, yeah, we'll yeah. do it soon. So he can have some like yeah. playmates. So like, not close <laughs> friends, but we definitely have, we do have some people that we know in our, and I like that are also um, gay couples that have become parents. Right. Yeah. For Kevin growing up, you guys uh, explained to him his story of discovery um, through this book that you created. Can you tell me a, a little bit about how he dealt with the story as he grew up? Sure. Well, I mean, we knew we wanted to be the ones to tell him of the, or his origin story. We didn't want it to come from anyone else because, I mean, this is such a public story. I mean, everyone knew it all around us. And so we were wanted that to be come from us. So we would just at that time, we would just simply tell the, how we became a family. Um, we would also, because this train station, the exit where he was found is the closest to where we lived. We would use it all the time. And so we would always reference is like, this is the place where we found each other. And, and we it became known as Kevin's, this is Kevin's place. Oh. Um, and then, and then after a few years, we Pete put together a, a, a simple children's book just to tell the story. And he told us, I mean, the story was told um, and the, the, the train cars became animated to tell the story of carrying me down to the station to find him. We used all of our names, you know, Kevin and Pete and Danny um, of the story. And then um, and we would read this to him every night at bedtime and after about a year it finally clicks for him it's like oh this story is about me um so i mean this one particular night we're uh sitting you know he he wants us to sit on either side of him to read the book and we're reading the book and we get to the end and he's quiet and he says is this about me and we said yes this is your story this is how we became a family and he got this big smile on his face, turned the book over and let, let's read it again. <laughs> yeah. um, he was so proud of this story and this book that he then took it to show and tell at school. Um, he wanted to share it with all of his classmates. He owned his story after that. You know, he was yeah. like proud of it. And, you know, we wanted to, you know, like Danny said, we wanted to introduce it to him in an age appropriate way because, you know, could you imagine if a kid on the playground said, I overheard my mom talking to my dad about um, you being found in the subway. I mean, we didn't want him to come home and say, so-and-so said this, and is this true? Like, we didn't want him to be shocked by it. 
uh, by finding out about his story in any other way um, but from us. So we're like, well, how can we introduce him to his story in a very age-appropriate way? So, you know, we did this children's book, um, which was basically color printouts um, that we spray glued together. It's not the book that's it's not the book that's out now. It's a completely different book. Yeah. But the OG book was uh, was was <laughs> clip art and everything. It was. It was all. Yes. It was all yes. clip art. It was all clip of art. Course. <laughs> and does he still have the original book? Yes, he does. Yeah. Oh. So how's Kevin doing today? What's he up to as an adult man now? Oh wow. So he's a junior in college and he's studying mathematics and computer science. He's double majoring in both of those. Wow. He is the captain of his ultimate team at school. Frisbee? Yes, yes, yes. yes. He's, he loves it. He's yes. a mad, he's mad passionate about ultimate. He has been for the last five or six years. It's just, that's his passion. Um, but he's also in the last two or three years taken up running. And so he's actually trained and run in three marathons. And then one mega marathon, which yeah. is like 50 something miles. I don't know what it was. I don't know. It was just he, unbelievable. He doesn't get that from us. Let's put no. it that way. Because neither of us, <laughs> don't understand you know, it. We, we hardly like to walk fast. So, <laughs> so he's very sporty, very sporty. He's very athletic. Yeah, yeah he's very sporty, but very athletic. He, he's also, I mean, he's he's self-motivated yeah. and very goal-oriented. So yes. if he wants to, to, to do something or to figure something out, he will teach himself and he will, until he's able to figure it out. So he's taught himself how to play piano, play the guitar, um, violin, drums, just, yeah. He will figure stuff out on his own. And this is this is who he's been since he's been a little kid. He will sit and, and try to figure things out on his own before he asks for help. And for the most part, he will figure it out on his own um, and has many times, except for <laughs> recently. He just told us he's going to spend the summer. Uh, he's not coming home for the summer. He's going to spend the summer uh, in the town near his school with a couple of um, friends. And he said, um, I'm going to need you guys to teach me how to go grocery shopping. How to be an adult. How to be an adult. Exactly. Okay. And we were like, out of all the things in the world that you've taught yourself, I said, Kevin, you're hungry, you go buy food. You, That's yeah. what happens. You buy some groceries, <laughs> you figure out what you need. You're going to figure it out. You can read Danny, Pete, and Kevin's story and see all their gorgeous family photographs at gazewithkids.com. Make sure you're following us on social media at gaze underscore with underscore kids. And we'll see you next week for another episode.